Uh, just real briefly, I want to spend a, just a minute letting you know who I am and then I want to move on from that. Uh, my name's Terrell. I uh, graduated from SFA in 2011. Yeah? Woo, woo! Uh, and I know what you're thinking. I don't look like I graduated in 2011. I was on the, the nine-year plan. I was on the nine-year plan. Uh, so, met my wife here at a Campus Crusade meeting. Uh, and that's, that's how you do it. When you're like 24, you know, and you're a sophomore. You know, girls like older men, you know. So if you're looking to get married while you're in college, just take a long time. It'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah, so I met my wife, Lauren, at a Campus Crusade meeting. Uh, we got married a year before uh, we graduated. I was a youth pastor for a couple years. That's why I moved up here. Became a believer when I was 22 uh, out of some craziness, uh, addictions, and just being an idiot, really, and going to jail and just trying to find life in all these other places. Became a believer when I was 22. The Lord led me to the middle of nowhere uh, to be a youth pastor. I thought I'd go back to school as well. Went back to school uh, and then ended up here in 2011. Had an eight-month-old baby boy now. Uh, yes, he is, he is too much. Uh, he'll, he's around here somewhere, so if you see a baby. Uh, yeah, yeah, so been married, goodness, four years now. Uh, and then I go to seminary occasionally. Yeah, I'm on like the 14-year plan for that. Yeah, I'm not in a rush. It's fine. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's it. Uh, let me let you know what's going to go on here. Typically, we're basically going to do similar things uh, every Sunday night. Uh, we're going to preach through a book. We spent the last two years in the Gospel of John. We've ended that. We finished John. Hallelujah, right? Okay, we're going to jump into Ephesians now, and we're going to be in Ephesians till the end of this semester. Uh, I want to linger a little bit at the beginning of Ephesians. I feel like there's some groundwork we're going to need to lay tonight, that if we don't lay that groundwork, we're not going to get anything from Ephesians, actually. Uh, so yeah, we'll be in Ephesians for, yeah, like I said, till the end of the fall. Uh, let's get started. Yeah, we'll be in Ephesians 1. We're going to get two verses in. If you brought your Bible and you're real aggressive... At like knowing where we're going, we're also going to jump over to Galatians 2, uh, verse 19. We'll be there. So, if you're not really aggressive, just go. We'll get there. It'll be fine. Okay, uh, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God... To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is just an introduction to the book. This is sort of how Paul introduces books. I'm just going to be real brief. I want to lay a foundation. I don't know how many of you are from church, go to church, don't go to church, or whatever. Uh, Paul uh, was a Jewish rabbi, brilliant guy. He went by the name of Saul. He was so aggressively Jewish uh, that when Christianity is birthed um, at the, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, 50 days after Jesus is crucified, it's really 50 days after he's resurrected, but he's crucified, three days later he's resurrected, 50 days later he ascends to heaven and the church is birthed. And Paul, a good Jewish boy, is really aggressively trying to squash 
this sect of Judaism that was calling itself Christianity. And the way that he was doing that was by killing Christians, right? So he's going from place to place killing Christians. Um, And on his way to one place to arrest some Christians, the Lord blinds him and asks him, Paul, Saul, really, why are you persecuting me? Uh, and, And in this moment, Saul, who becomes Paul, realizes that Jesus was who he said he was. Uh, fundamentally, just was who he said he was. And we're going to get to the bottom of that probably today. Uh, but Jesus was who he said he was. Uh, and, and Saul submits to Jesus. Jesus renames him Paul. And then he becomes sort of like the 13th apostle. He becomes this apostle who's charged with taking the gospel of Jesus beyond Judaism to the ends of the earth. Right. And so Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus. That's why the book's called Ephesians. He's writing to this church in Ephesus as an Asia minor. Uh, He's writing to this church that he planted. And he's writing a letter back to them, encouraging them, giving them some things to watch out for. Uh, So Paul made four missionary journeys. um, And he planted churches along the way. uh, And he would write letters. Most of the letters in the New Testament are written from Paul to one of the churches that he planted or that someone else planted and he was writing to encourage them. So that's sort of what he's saying, Paul, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Like, I didn't become an apostle because I was like, I want to be an apostle. Uh, he became an apostle because Jesus blinded him and was like, you're going to go be an apostle and you're going to share the gospel. Uh, and, and literally in that segment where Jesus said that, he's like, I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my name. So it's not like Paul's like, it's going to be a good time. See the world. Uh, no, he's like stoned, not stoned, you know, like he's got rocks thrown at him, college kids, right? <laughs> he gets rocks thrown at him a couple times, kicked out of town, uh, rough life, bits by, bit by snakes and stuff, he just lives a crazy life, right? So Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, we are going to land here for the rest of the night. If we don't unpack to the saints really well, we're not going to get anything out of this book. If we don't unpack that word, saints, everything else in this book hinges on that word. The next three chapters are going to hinge around the idea that you're a saint and here has what, here's what's been bought for you. Here is the power that you have in Jesus' name. Here are the things that are true of you and not true of you. And it's never going to get into things you ought to do ethically or morally or th- the way you ought to live until chapter 4. Okay, so he's going to say this phrase and then everything that flows for the next three chapters flows out of this idea that we're going to talk about tonight. And it's this idea of identity. Everything flows from this idea. In the next three chapters, he just expounds on this identity of saints. But this is strategic. He's not just being nice, like, hey, to the saints. When we hear saints, I don't know if you think Mother Teresa or like St. Francis, like someone who's really selfless, you know what I mean? Or like when some, if I'm really tired and somebody brings me coffee, I'm like, you're a saint. My gosh, you know what I mean? Like when a nice guy, right? In our culture, a saint is someone who does a lot of nice, selfless things. And and at the heart of that is your identity, your identity comes from what you do. 
And Paul just is going to smash that idea. Everything, everything he writes is to smash that idea that what you do creates who you are. Because Paul is trying to rearrange this. For the life of a believer, it is the other way around. And this is what we're going to get to the bottom of tonight. Uh, so I want to walk through. I, I should tell you now, I'm sorry if you're new. We're going to go through the book of Ephesians. But we're going to be in Genesis all the time. All the time. I I'm sorry, I just can't get around it. Okay? We're going to go through Ephesians, but be uh, regularly, we're going to jump back to Genesis 1 or 2 or 3 and maybe 12. But that's what we're going to do. All right? So just, you're going to know Genesis 3 by the time you leave. Uh, so I want to trace this idea out. I want to lay this foundation of identity for us before we jump in and really let this explain itself. Okay, so I need, you to, I need you to think back in your minds. If you've been here a while, you're good at this. Think back in your mind. So here is God creating all things at the beginning of time, creating everything that we know and understand. He's creating it. He's not just creating it with his hands. He's speaking it into creation. He's forming space and matter and arranging space and matter and then filling that space with living beings, things that can experience existence. Ridiculous. Things that can experience existence and can experience him ultimately. And then so at the, when he gets done creating living things, on the sixth day, he creates these new kind of beings that are not created after their own likeness. They're not created after their own kind is what the few days before the sixth day kept saying over and over. This time they're created after the likeness and the image of God. They call this the Imago Dei. The, uh, the, the, we, the humanity is not just a creature like all the other creatures. It's a creature that bears the image of God. And so you get very succinctly in the creation story, all of this creating happens and then God declares over this other creature, man and woman, you are in my image so he lays this identity and wrapped up in that word image is not just that you sort of look like him or you act like him or you have characteristics of him. It's, it's the same word that, that Adam uses over his firstborn son. Same exact word. We are of him, right? We are of him. And so that when God says you're my image, he's like, you're my children. You're after my likeness. And the way my little eight-month-old is after my likeness. Okay, so he creates these beings who have his image and they have these characteristics of his and they, they are like him in this way and they bear his image. And then from that identity statement, the image bearers, the things that carry the will of God, the kingdom of God, the character of God, everything in creation displays God. The stars display his power. The mountains display his faithfulness. The trees display his creativity. But humanity displays, was intended to display characteristics that the rest of the creation cannot display, like mercy and love and patience and kindness. Mountains and peach trees do not do that. Humans do that. And when humans do not do that, the earth is void of it. Because after our identity statement is laid, our purpose statement is there. You're in my image. Now, in my image, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with more of my image, and subdue it. You are in relationship with me, and take that relationship where I teach you the way that I am, merciful, gracious, kind, loving, passionate, and then just spread that over the earth. Right? And then 
something that I tried to hash out from the time I was like, from the time I could really grasp what was going on in Genesis. He does something after he says this. He, he gives them a rule about not eating from this tree. And so, so, so what we see revolving around this idea with this tree is he doesn't give a reason why. Kyle hit on this this morning. Uh, he doesn't give a reason why. He just says, hey, I'm going to put this tree in the middle. Don't eat it. He's Italian too, right? <laughs> he, he puts this tree, and the Bible says he puts it at the center of the garden. At the center of the garden. And that there's two trees at the center of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And so what we understand, that from the center of this garden... And from the center, really, where I think what's going on here, and this is just me speculating, I think what's going on is at the center, God gives life to humanity, right? And there's so many deep needs that we as humans have, more than food and more than clothing and more than acceptance. We have these needs to be satisfied, like a deep longing for satisfaction. And we have a deep, deep longing for, to be satisfied by something. Like when we eat a delicious meal, it's just sort of painting the picture of something greater, some deep need to be satisfied. We have a deep, deep need to be secure. We have a deep need to, be, to feel safe. Like I see it different. I think some people have these heavier than others. Like I have a deep need to be satisfied. That's why I like buy things a lot. And my wife has a deep need to be secure. And she wants to save our money. So it's like a, always conflict right there. Because my money in the bank, sweet. I can get shoes or a fishing rod or somebody tries to sell me something and they come by the door and I'm just like, yeah, I'll buy that or anything. Like, I'm, just, I, you, I'm a sucker. Like, I, will, I will give you money if you try to sell me something. Uh, every, every, every commercial gets me. Uh, but, but there's something in me that needs something and it needs to be filled by something. And I'm sort of shallow, so things do that. My love language is gifts. I try to tell everybody that my love language is gifts. Right? So if you want to, just whenever. Uh, but there's something in me that needs to be satisfied by something outside of me. There's something in my wife's life that needs something outside of her that says you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. If something happens to the boy, to, the, to Marshall, my son, if something happens to him, it's going to be okay. Like she has this deep need for this to be spoken over, right? We have this deep need for satisfaction, security. We have a deep need for significance. For people to say, yeah, yeah, you're a good person. Yeah, you're awesome. To, and then even beyond that, to make a difference where you go. You know what I mean? To make a difference, to be successful in life, to be successful in business, to be successful in this world, to not just be a consumer, but to be a giver. Like we have these deep things in us that want to be satisfied, that want to be secure, significant, right? And in our identity, in our identity, these things were spoken over us. In the garden, this is, you are my children, I love you, I'm going to guide this, you can eat from any tree in this place, you're going to be provided for, everything's going to be okay, I am the most powerful being in existence, I know all, can see all, can do all, and I love you, like what, that's the most satisfying, secure thing, that if, if, if like the, the most powerful being in existence comes to me, he's like, yeah, I love you, and I'm going to take care of you, no worries, I'm going to be like, yeah, sweet, I'm down, alright, wherever you want to go, let's do that. Right, so this voice speaking, you are my children, you are in my image, and I love you, and I will provide, everything will be okay, it's just spoken over them, right? Spoken over them. Okay, and then this tree. 
and this tree, and he gives this command, and I think the command is for nothing other than to create a distinction. No reason why. God just simply says, here's a command, no reason why. And the distinction is, you're a creature, and I'm a creator. You're a being, and I am the essence of being. Right? Like it's, he just gives this command because it's like, create that distinction like I'm God I'm God I speak stars into existence and you need little pieces of fruit off of trees to survive so he creates this command that's like I'm God you're not God I'll give you everything you want everything you need just just do it this way fill the earth subdue it here's your identity this is what you are this is who you are this is what I am this is who I am Live in that, find life in that. And the command really is, you can do it this way, or I'll let you be the life giver. I'll let you be at the center. I'll let you be be the God, little G. I'll let you be the God. You want to go that way. And that's what they do, right? That's what they do. They go into the center of the garden, and they take from the tree. And in essence, everything that they're saying is, I don't like this arrangement. I don't like this identity. I don't like this. I don't like the way I am. Whatever it is, I can't get to the heart of why they would just do that. I'm like, why did you do it? But it's fine. It's the way it went. And, and instantly this vanishes. Instantly this vanishes. That voice that was saying, it's okay. That voice that was saying, you're my children. That voice that was saying, I love you and you're valuable and you're significant and everything is fine and you don't need to search for it anywhere else and I'll provide everything you need and I'll teach you how to live on this earth and I'll show you what life is about. I'll show you things you can't imagine. That voice was gone. And the first thing they do is they turn to creation to fill this void again because it's still there. They still need to be satisfied. They still need to be secure from something outside and they still need that. And so they turn. And this is where me and you live. Trying to find life because we desperately want to feel alive. We desperately want life. We want real life. We don't just want to exist. We don't just want to go to school and then go to work and then come home. And then we want something more from existence than just existence. It's not simply okay to have enough food to survive so that you can work. That's, that's not quite good enough. There's something else in us that needs more of life than that. Right? This is why people jump out of planes with parachutes on. This is why people get in little cages with sharks around. Right? This is why people do incredibly dumb things. Because deep down inside, I need to feel alive. I need to feel life. I need that. And that was gone. And so now I've got to like look at creation for it. And so we either, we go one, we go, I've pinned down four ways that I think we go to do that. I think we go to ourself. We go to self-improvement, right? When I was in high school, I did not play any sports, but I did steroids, right? Stupid, right? Because I thought that if I could make my shoulders wider than my, my hips, Right, I'd look good without a shirt on and that people, especially girls, would like me and I would be accepted, right? I know you're like, this guy sucks. But yeah, I was an idiot. 
right? No, no sports. I played football at the park sometimes with my friends. Okay? But we go to self-improvement physically, internally. We try to improve self. We try to deal with anxiety. We try to deal with these things. We try to improve on self because if I can improve on self, then I don't feel as insignificant. I don't feel as insecure. I don't feel... And I think you can use that to find satisfaction in other things. If I could get my body looking right, then maybe I could have sex with a bunch of people and that would fill this deep need for satisfaction in me, right? It's like I'm doing things and striving after things and toiling after things to fill these needs in me. Or we look to others. And this is, I mean, you go there. I try one, then go to the next one. If I can be accepted among a group of people, if I can be accepted by a girl that I deem like looks good and is attractive and is fun, and it's a girl that I like, if I can be accepted by her, then she can begin to give me life. She can begin to affirm me. She can begin to say, everything's okay. I'm going to be here for you. Everything's fine. You're important. I like you. Um, your shoulders are wider than your hips, right? I, and I'm like, yeah, thank you. Right, so I look outside of myself when self-improvement only does so much. I go to that well, I drink it dry, and I'm still empty. And so I go to the next well of others, and I drink it dry. And whenever I do that, it's a bit, it leads to a bit more conflict than the other one did. And so I bet all of you, or most of you, have been in relationships where it was good for three months, and then it turns into this really weird conflict that you can't get to the bottom of. Well, the, the reason that happens is because y'all both run out of life to give to the other person because that person went to you looking for life and you went to them looking for life and it works really great for a little while and then they stop giving life to you because they're empty and so you go to others and you drink that well dry and it just doesn't work and then you go to stuff and you move to things if I get more things, if I get a bigger house, if I get a better car, if I get better shoes, if I get better clothes, like if I get all these things Right? It'll fill some sort of satisfaction in me. And then, oddly enough, we go to religion, which is just self with like a God jacket on. That I'll follow some moral rules, I'll follow some ethical rules so that I can get God on my side. I'll do these right ethical, moral things, and that'll be a good way to fill this thing in me. And so, self-improvement, relationships, nice things, morality, being ethical, whatever you want. We go to these wells and we drink them dry and we still need life. We still need it. And so, here's where this gets weird. When one of those works, and it works for a little while, it stops being something that we do and it slips into something that we are. So whenever I'm going to this well of self-improvement or I'm going to this well of others to satisfy, and it begins to satisfy, I begin to place my identity there. Okay, so let me, let me explain to you exactly what I mean. This is where it gets so weird because it becomes something less than just doing, something more than just doing something. Uh, whenever I was in high school, I started getting into, I was, I was an insecure kid. You could imagine that, right? I've already told you a little bit. I was an sort of insecure kid and, and, and wanted acceptance from people and 
Um, I didn't, it wasn't so overt about it, but deep down I needed it. Um, and, and it didn't really come that easy. But then about sophomore and junior year, um, I started getting into drugs. I like started being able like, to get drugs and sell like, weed and cocaine to people. And I sort of got this identity in high school that I was accepted in high school because I had drugs and could sell drugs. And that also when I would go to parties, I would act like an idiot and people would laugh. And, and so then I got it sort of wrapped up in this. It, I became this person. So this began to work. It began to fill something in me. And so instead of it just being something that I did, it, it became something that I had to do. It became something my identity was wrapped around to the degree that I went to this church camp and the guy was preaching and he was like, I don't remember what he's talking about, but it just felt like, oh my gosh, what am I doing right now? I'm an idiot and I need something more than this. And I remember turning around in my seat and I began to pray and all that kept coming across my mind was, if you follow Jesus, all of that goes away. If you follow Jesus, all of that goes away. And the question that I couldn't get over was, who am I if all that goes away? So you see how my identity got wrapped up in that? It became not just something that I did. It became who I was. And I think you feel this in relationships. You do not just be, you're not just dating this person. Because this person gives validity and life to you, you become associated at an identity level with this person. This is why in the States, whenever people ask you about you, especially after you get out of college, in college now, the thing that you do, your job is you go to school. So the first thing you do to identify yourself is what you do. I go to school. When you get out of college, the next thing you're going to do, you're going to identify yourself by what you do job-wise. And so the first thing that happens is you begin to associate, I have a meaningful place in the community. I have a meaningful place in the American system. And since it's a meaningful place in the American system, my identity becomes associated with it. To the degree that when I became a youth pastor, I had to tell people, like, I'm a youth pastor, man. Do you like that? And most people are like, who cares? Right? But still, there's like three or four people are like, no, that's sweet. And I'm like, yeah, that's sweet. But see, my identity gets soaked up in the acceptance that you find in other people. And that comes via your occupation, where you go to school. Like if you were, I don't know, at Yale, you'd feel this a bit more. But we're at SFA, right? You know? It doesn't creep into the identity. I could say that because I was here, all right? I could say that. Uh... <laughs> but if we to Harvard, it'd be totally different. I'd be having my polo shirt on with my collar pops, and I'd be like, I go to Harvard. Right? So so you see how the identity gets locked up in that thing that is giving satisfaction and that thing that is giving life. You're not just getting your life and that feeling from it, you're getting who you are from it also. You're getting who you are from it. Because the identity that was declared over us has vanished. And that, that's, when we become, that's when we become slaves to it. That's when we become slaves to it. Because I'm no longer doing it to satisfy me. I'm doing it because that's who I am. And this is the curse of the ground. That you will work and strive and toil and it will bear thistles and thorns that you will work and strive and toil 
to sustain some identity that used to give life but no longer does and you can't figure out why and you're consistently feeding it the things that you used to feed it. You're still consistently striving and toiling to figure out who I am exactly. And at a deep level, I'm striving for identity I'm striving to maintain identity. This is when your relationships start falling apart and you're doing everything you can to make sure that it stays together. Not because you deeply love this person, it's because you deeply need that person to affirm you still. You need that person still. And so it's a love out of need and not a love out of overflow. And so instead of operating like we originally did from an identity, son of God, daughter of God who cultivates life on the earth from the security and the satisfaction of being loved by the creator and sustainer of all things. I operate from a deficiency of trying to create that for myself. This is why I went to parties in high school. This is probably why some of you go to parties in college. I desperately needed to be affirmed by drunk people. Now I'm a pastor and I desperately need to be affirmed by Christian people. Unless I get to the heart of that and put it to death. Right? Still the same thing. It's just working its way out in a different way. So instead of operating from an identity, son of God, daughter of God, who cultivates life on the earth, we strive and toil to maintain an identity because we are deficient. We still need something. Okay, so where does that leave us? Right? This is a... I told you very happy stories and y'all look sad. Uh, So where does that leave us? Um, It leaves us, I would say, in a bad place. And sometimes we're at the top of that little satisfaction mountain where we've been finding satisfaction and everything's good. Or we're at the top of that significance little mountain and everything's feeling good. So I don't feel the badness quite as much as I do at other times. But we're desperately in need of obviously the gospel. We're desperately in need of the good news. This is why the gospel is good news because it comes into a bad place. If it wasn't a bad place, then Jesus didn't need to die and it wouldn't be the gospel. It would just be like, okay, news. That's fairly good news. But no, this is like incredibly good news because it invades the darkest place where we do not have an identity and we're striving and toiling to find it and we can't get there. And religion is at best just an attempt to do that by twisting God's arm and saying, I'll be good if you like me. I'll be good if you like me. If I do the right things, will you like me? Will you protect me? If I just do this, will you protect me? If I stop smoking weed, will you protect me? If I start doing this and not doing these other things, if I stop cussing, right, and stop sleeping with my with my girlfriend, it, will, will you do the, will you, will you like guide me and give me what I want? Religion is at best that. It's just number one with a God jacket on. So what, and so uh, I just want to get to talk about what exactly does Jesus do? What exactly does Jesus do? How exactly does Jesus fix that? How exactly? And this is where I want to jump to Galatians 2. So if you found it, let's go there. Uh, If you haven't, let's go there real quick. Uh, Galatians 2, we're going to be in verse 19. I'm going to read this three verses. I'm going to read it and then we'll, we'll unpack it. Galatians is the book right before Ephesians. I hope you didn't like flip all over the place. It's right before. I should have told you that. 
uh, verse 19, ver, uh, chapter 2, verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And then this is where it gets really good. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull this out and hash this out real fast. What do you say in that first uh, 19? For through the law, I died to the law. Paul has realized that his morality and his religion that centered around uh, Judaism was not providing the life that he thought it would. So through the law, he's talking about the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. Through this law, all it showed me is that I can't attain the law. It only showed me that there's a standard so high that I can't meet. So through the law, it didn't heal me, it didn't fix me, it didn't provide satisfaction, it didn't provide security, didn't give me an identity. All it did was show me that I still need those things and I'm unable to attain to the level that God requires. So even if I did all the right things and none of the wrong things, I would still be in this place where I'm, un, I'm through the law, all I realize is that this is unattainable. Through the law, I died to the law. And then this is where he jumps in. And, and, okay, you may have felt this. How, how many of you, like, in high school or, or now in college, uh, went down this path of life that you didn't really like, and it was leading you in a bad place, and so you realized it, and you made promises to God about not acting that way anymore, and then... Six weeks after you made those promises, you were doing the very thing that you did once before. Okay, if you went to summer camp in a youth group, this was how every year played out for you. (laughs) Right? Right, you go, and this is why we brought the neon lights in, because we hope it happens. No, no, that's not true. Uh, That's how it was. Right? Every summer I would go, I would, God, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to stop doing all these things. And then I would get back home. And Six weeks is a long time. Two weeks is probably how long it took. And then we had Disciple Now, right? In December. And then I got just a little bit. You don't quite get as, you know, make all those same changes. Just a few more changes. And then it just sort of crumbles away. But you see what I mean? At best, most of the times, the reason that that faded away is not because your willpower wasn't strong enough. Well, yeah, that's part of it, but because it was an attempt at religion and it was an attempt at a reshaping of identity and resting and soaking in exactly who God declares you to be and waging war on the lies that come against that identity, it was, I've been doing bad and now I'm going to do good. And it's useless and powerless because it's just the same thing. It's operating from a deficiency where you don't know who you are and you don't know what God is doing and you don't know why he's doing it. And you're just sort of lost in this, but you're like, I need to be good because the guy put me on a guilt trip. So I'm going to be good, of course. And I got these people asking me these questions that are a little probing. It's like, stop asking me these ridiculous questions, right? But okay, but I'm sort of guilt into doing better. And this is what Paul is exactly saying. The law just showed me that I can't achieve that. I can make all the decisions I want about doing better, but that is powerless to fix anything. 
So then, what is powerful to fix things? Um, This is exactly what he says. 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We're going to stop there. And then we're going to go on. The first thing that this means is everything, everything, everything that constituted your life before you believed in Jesus, all of those things are no longer true of you. And me, I, I really want to be as drastic as I can possibly say this. As drastic as I can possibly. You, the day you became a Christian, if you, became, if, you were a, if you consider yourself a believer and you remember the day, maybe you sort of remember the general season it was, it was winter. I don't know if you remember exactly when it was. But the day you put faith in Jesus, what happened was you died that day. So everything that constituted your life before then was put to death on a cross. And again, I'm going to be as drastic as I possibly can. So uh, I've, I've, I've hinted a little bit of my life a little bit. Uh, I, I got into weed when I was like in, in, uh, in 11th grade. Then I got into coke a little bit. And then I started doing whatever drugs I get my hands on. And, and I got into all this. And it started wrecking my family pretty bad. Uh, it started wrecking my mom, my dad. They were Christian man and woman of the year. We had a plaque on our wall like in the church. My dad stepped down from being a deacon because I so terrible. Like, it, like it, was, it wrecked my family. It wrecked my family. The day that I became a believer, and I don't remember the day, but I remember the season. It was in January, I think. All of that weighed so heavily on me. God had brought me just to the end of myself. Been to jail like the fifth time. And I was just tired of it, right? I was just tired of it. And so everything that constituted my life up until that day in January, everything that formed my identity, everything that I clung to to give satisfaction and not God, all of those things, everything that was me was put to death. It is no longer true of me. So here's how far this goes. The day you became a lever, the day you became a lever? (laughs) It's a lever, anyway. The day you became a believer... If there was abuse in your past, physical, verbal, if there were mistakes that you made that you just can't get past in your mind, if there were things that were done to you or things that you did, what scripture says is that person was killed. That person was crucified with Christ. And a new person was raised to life. A new person was raised to life. So pothead Terrell, cokehead Terrell was crucified. And that no longer has any power or dominion or words that are spoken. Oh, this no longer defines me. Not because I said so, but because God says when you believe in Jesus, everything that happened to you was crucified with Christ. So that person's dead. It doesn't matter anymore. It has no power. It cannot do anything because that person was crucified. Everything, all the baggage that went along with it was crucified. 
And then he says, in the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So then he says, that new person is seated fully and completely in the life of Christ. It's seated fully and completely in the perfect life of Christ. So that as God looks at me, looks at you, those of you who have believed and placed your faith in Jesus, he looks at you and he's not like, I see Jesus. He sees you, mistakes that you've made, seated in Christ, now his son, now his daughter once again, and he declares this identity over you once again, that all of the sin was paid for, everything that you did wrong or was done wrong to you, washed clean by the blood of Jesus, and then resurrected to a different life that is now a declared identity once again, just like it was in the garden. An identity that is declared, an identity that does not come from the things that you did or the things that you do, but an identity that comes from what God says about you. And you're like, well, that feels a little weird. It feels like those things still do have power over me. It feels like those things still come across my mind and I feel guilty about them. This is where this gets derailed. This is where it gets derailed. This is where you don't feel it. This is where you don't it doesn't feel like it's true. What happens is people in your life or the enemy, I would say the accuser, Satan, same way as it was in the garden, comes against you and says, look at what you just did. This is in line with your old identity, so none of that other stuff must be true. So actions that you do that mirror what you did once make you feel like everything that happened in between wasn't quite good enough. This is, again, why you got saved at church camp like 11 times. Because you saw, oh my God, I have been sinning up until now. You know what that means? It probably means I didn't get saved. So I'll go down to the front and I'll get saved. And I'll get home and I'll get baptized again. And then I'll commit sins again. And then I'll have to do it again next summer. This is the way the enemy works against you. Look at what you did. It must mean that all of this isn't true. And what Scripture is saying and what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying is your actions still don't identify you. It is the Word of God declared over you that identifies you. And you can either operate from some feeling or some notion about who you are or you can fight to daily stay in the place of I believe the blood of Jesus has washed all that away and I believe I'm seated in Christ and so that when God sees me, He sees me in him in his son and everything that's true of Jesus is true of me his righteousness is true of me because it's declared over me not because I've achieved anything because it's declared over me and so when we say faith in Christ and what Paul and the reason we had to unpack this tonight is because Paul's going to use this word in these two words in Christ nine times over the next 14 verses it it, it is the foundation of everything he's going to talk about in Ephesians in Christ We have to understand fully what that means, and it means what I just said it was. Thing one and thing two. That's the best way I can remember this. As Dr. Seuss, thing one and thing two. Thing one is everything that was true of me has been crucified. I'm clean because of the blood of Jesus, the work of Jesus, not my own works. Thing two, I've been resurrected, and I am in Christ. Everything that's true of Jesus is true of me. 
And the reason that God the Father does this is so that he brings you back into relationship with him so that in this identity of child of God, saint, holy one. That's why he calls the Ephesians holy ones, not because they were spiritual elite, but because they had trusted in Christ. So if you read Ephesians 1 again, what does it say? To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean they are faithful because they always believe God. It means they are faithful because they have believed in God and are now seated in Christ. And in Christ, everything that was true of them about their past has been put to death and everything that's true of Jesus is true of them. That's why he can say so boldly to the saints, all of you who have believed in Jesus are saints. And the reason he is so emphatic about it is because you're going to see this book unfold. He wants everything that you do to operate from the identity of, I am a beloved child of God, and nothing of my past, nothing of my present, the actions that I have done, they don't speak about my identity, because my identity has been declared by God the Father in Christ. So when he says in Christ, we have to think thing one, thing two. So it doesn't matter. Paul was killing Christians before thing one and thing two happened to him. Before he was seated in Christ. None of you have been killing Christians, I hope. Right? But there are so many things that you've been doing that I'm sure you're not exactly happy or proud of. There's so many things that have been done to you that continue to speak into your mind and tell you like really detrimental things. I talked to a friend last week and he said, there were things that were said to me when I was in sixth and seventh grade about the way I look and me being a loser who can't do anything that still when he goes to do something for his job, cross his mind. No one's going to accept this. No one's going to like this because you're a loser and you don't know what you're doing. There are things like that that are crossing our mind consistently. Consistently. And the word of God, the Bible, Ephesians is saying about that. Your role in this is not to act like a better person. Your role is to fight these thoughts that cross your mind that say over you, you suck. Nobody likes you. Nobody likes the way that you look. You need to do this to look better so that more people will like you. It would be a terrible, terrible shame if for the next four years your life is consumed by toiling and striving to be accepted by people who really could care less instead of firmly placing yourself in Christ and daily fighting from this identity and not being drug around on everything that goes on in that campus into all this crap. And like a lot of people happen, you come in here your junior year, your senior year, and you're like, I hate the last two and a half years of my life. Everything for most of you, let me say for some of you, you're at a turning point now where your identity does not The identity that you had over the last four years, over the last year, does not have to be what identifies you. It does not. And there's no amount of works or not 
cursing or rules you need to follow to make that true. To make that true, what you need to do is simply believe in Jesus and put your trust and your faith in him tonight and tomorrow morning and the next morning and the next morning and the next morning. And so I just, I'm going to say, well, I'm going to meddle for just a second. And then we're going to sing one more song. I just want to meddle in your life for a minute, a minute longer. Having good friends is not the same as having friends who understand the gospel and speak it into your life. Having friends that you can have fun with is not the same as having friends who will come around you and address eating disorders, who'll come around you and address you sleeping around. Having friends that will come into your life and say, this isn't good, but the blood of Jesus covers it and you don't need to operate from it. And you don't need to let it define you. Having friends who know and understand you and can also take the truth of Jesus and speak that into your life is much different than good friends. This is why why we like give you free shirts and I try to get your information so that I can try to push you into a community group because we are really aggressively looking for people in these community groups that can lead and can talk to you about how the gospel shapes and informs all of life. This was so aggressive about this. It It would be terrible if the next four years was just trying to please some people. And it's not operating from the identity that the creator gives and wants to walk you out in. And that, that, that's why I'm so pushy. So I'm so pushy about groups. That's why I'm so pushy about community. Having people around you understand and know the gospel. Speak it into your life.